Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ National, presented by Alison Balance and Veronica Maduna. First up, Veronica is just back from an international science media trip to Australia with this story. I grew up with normal hearing, we thought, but then there was no newborn hearing testing in Australia in the 80s. So I was born in 1980, so we didn't know. When I was 11, my hearing loss was picked up in a routine primary school hearing test they found out I had a mild to moderate loss. And unfortunately for me, they said, we think that you're going to go progressively deaf. They said, oh, it might be about age 40, but it was much earlier. By the age of 18, I was so severely deaf, I couldn't hear on the phone anymore. No one had talked to me about uh, cochlear implants. I didn't know that they were an option. did you have hearing aids at that point? I I was prescribed hearing aids at the age of 11 through Australian hearing, and I got no psychological support, and I was so devastated and embarrassed. I hid them in a drawer and I thought that hearing aids were for old people. So I struggled along lip reading and pretending that I could hear. By the time I was 18 I realised that school and university were getting too difficult. You did um, have plans to be a journalist. I had plans to be a journalist. I thought I can do this. I'll go to university and study. I'm sure I could be a deaf journalist. But it proved too difficult. I did a year of uh, free internship with a magazine And I did everything from press conferences to phone interviews to uh, just talking with people. And it was such a struggle uh, that by the time I was 21, I'd considered suicide because I felt I was going to be a burden on the world and that I wouldn't be able to be a journalist. I wouldn't be able to pursue my dream and I couldn't see a future. And the hearing aids weren't enough. I was struggling and I couldn't use the phone. Around that time, I decided to study lip reading I studied Auslan, which is Australian Sign Language, and then I looked into joining deaf support groups and I found that there was an inclusive community that really just welcomed me and I felt suddenly at home. But it wasn't enough. When I was thinking about having children, my greatest fear was having to rely on my children to hear for me. I didn't want them to have to call my bank for me or to ring up my employer to tell them I couldn't come in one day. Even it, you yourself not hearing your children you yeah. know, if they needed you and you couldn't hear them? Not being able to hear them. I just knew that it would be... I needed to try something. So I started looking into cochlear implants and it wasn't until I saw a woman who I knew had the same hearing loss as me. She was on the phone and she was talking to someone using her cochlear implant and that's when I realised this might actually work. So in July of 2009, six years ago, I got my first cochlear implant on the right side and it took seven months of relearning how to hear 
And what does it sound like at the start? It sounded like an alien language. I couldn't decipher words through the sound. But it sounded like speech, but unlike anything you hear on Earth. It sounded electronic, beeps and clicks merged together in a chorus. But as I said, after seven months, it started to sound natural. This is where the brain is the most incredible thing. I could feel my brain changing, and the, the sounds weren't changing, but my brain was. So after seven months, I finally got the courage to try calling my mother, and that was the first phone call I made, five minutes of saying, I can't believe I'm talking to you. But that was it. From there, life changed. That was Kate Obermeyer, an extraordinary woman I met in Sydney recently. She works at Cochlear, a medical company that produces cochlear implants or bionic ears. And there, Kate is an advocate for people with hearing loss. People like Belinda and her seven-year-old son, Charles. He was diagnosed with a mild-moderate hearing loss very shortly after birth. And like Kate, he had a progressive loss. So by the time he was about 18 months old, he had lost all of his hearing. I'd been at a high school in the late 80s, early 90s that had a number of hearing-impaired children at the school. So I had a quite a good girlfriend um, who was profoundly deaf as well. So I had watched her struggle, her reliance on an interpreter and on a scribe and her sister was in our year level as well and she relied heavily on her as well for social, a social crutch essentially. So my fears for Charles when he was born was that that would be his reality as well. And whilst I knew that that was something that we could manage and we could just make the best of every opportunity that, that he has, his reality today with cochlear implants just far exceeds my wildest dreams when he was an infant. It blows me away to this day how, how easy it is to forget he has a hearing loss. Charles, do you want to come up and talk to people? Well, maybe you want to tell everyone your name? My name is Charles. And how old are you, Charles? Seven. Uh-huh. And, and you're at school? Yeah. Not today, though, are you? No, no. <laughs> and, w and where do you go to school? St Andrews Casino School in the city. In the city? Yeah. Uh -huh. And you like going to school? Yeah. And what year are you in? Year two. Year two, wow. And who's your teacher? Mrs Adcock. Mm -hmm. And what do you like doing at school? Uh, maths. Maths, yes. <laughs> we like that. And um, what else do you do at school? A language. Oh, what language do you do? Chinese. You're learning Chinese. Wow. And you do, do you do music at school too? Yeah. You enjoy music? Yeah. Do you like singing? Yeah. Yes. What other things do you like doing at school? Mm. Do you do any sports? Yeah. What are you doing at the moment in sport? Gymnastics. Gymnastics. And do you do any other sports outside school? Yeah. What do you do? Um, ballet and swimming. Ballet and swimming. Mm -hmm. And can you wear your processes at swimming? I can't wear these ones, but I wear a different type of one. You wear your different ones? Yeah. With the waterproof? Yeah. Your aqua, aqua accessory? Yeah. So you can hear your teacher at swimming? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And what, what do you want to do when you grow up? A Lego designer. You want to be a Lego designer? <laughs> so needless to say, his hearing impairment has not held him back at all. At Cochlear we, we make an implantable medical device. We don't make hearing aids. What we make is truly a, a bionic ear. Rodney Miles is a facilities manager at Cochlear. What you're looking at here is a class 7 clean room. It's 12 times cleaner than an operating theatre. So this space is about 760 square metres, which is one of the largest clean rooms you'll see in the Southern Hemisphere. What we are producing in here is the electrode assembly. 
only for the implantable medical device and our cochlear implant. So this clean room, the entire volume of air in this clean room is changed 15 times an hour. It's all HEPA filtered, comes down through the big grills uh, supplied into the room via those grills and filtered and then it's taken back through these air return, through the air handling equipment and then back. So you'll notice that all of the people in here are, are gowned up. The only thing that you can see are their eyes. They will enter the clean room via a washroom where they'll scrub in like a surgeon does, going into surgery, into a gowning room and then uh, into work. Being an implantable medical device, we're implanting these devices in, in people's heads, so we have to make sure that it is totally clean. We, we monitor not only particulates, so dust and, and that kind of thing, but also the microbiology in this room. Uh, contact plates are taken and we, we grow them in an incubator to make sure that we are meeting specification in that regard. What uh, our, our employees are making in, the, in this clean room is, as I mentioned before, just the electrode assembly. So the electrode assembly having 22 individual electrodes as well as 22 platinum iridium wire, which is 20 to 25 micron, attached to each single electrode. As you can see, it's quite small. So to automate a process so small is very, very, very difficult. A majority of the, the, the process is under microscope by hand with tweezers. Very, very delicate work, hence why we've got such a strong production workforce. My name is Jim Patrick. I'm Chief Scientist at Cochlear Limited, and I've been working on cochlear implants since I joined Professor Clark's group in 1975. So you've been involved from the very start when just the very idea that you could in fact put some electrodes into somebody's head That's and correct. stimulate a nerve seemed like that crazy. That was the idea. So luckily I, at the university I had a lecture from a professor who was working on the design of the early design of the implant and he was teaching how to stimulate nerves electrically. So I kind of picked that up at the university and then I heard of Professor Clark's work and ultimately joined him in 75. Tell me a bit about the early ideas that that you were part of developing because what we have right now is an implant that is completely within the skull even embedded in the skull but that would it's seem under, small under scalp, yeah. yeah would seem small compared to what the early devices would have well, been the first device was thicker it was 13 millimeters thick whereas now we get down to less than four millimeters thick uh, so it was, it was much more bulky and it was very different in the stimuli that it could generate. Simpler or less diversity? How would you describe uh, look, it compared to what you did now? complicated. We had 10 electrodes and we could stimulate each electrode once in a millisecond where the start time could be varied in increments of 125 microseconds. Um, now we use narrower pulses, we stimulate at a higher rate. We make sure that we only stimulate with one electrode at a time whereas with the university device we could stimulate simultaneously with any, any number of electrodes. So when the nerve gets the stimulus, how close is it to what it was receiving? No, it's very, if they very different because the, with the acoustic input, then the, there's a lot of spontaneous activity that's happening, and when you have the acoustic the sound coming in, then you can increase the probability that the nerve's going to fire, and it tends to fire a little bit in synchrony with the acoustic stimulation, but it's not exactly the way it tends to be with electrical stimulation. Uh, so it's quite quite different. Again, a, a uh, tone coming into the ear will stimulate electric nerves all the way along the cochlea, uh, maybe with a higher probability in some in one place than others. Whereas with the uh, 
the cochlear implant, the response will be really local to where the electrode is. It won't spread right along the cochlea. So it's, there are some fundamental differences. So the brain the really has to play a big the part in to trying to make out. sense of it. Absolutely, yep. How do you find that now that the implants, children can now receive them quite early, does that make a difference? Oh, it makes a big difference to the children. If the children, the brain is very plastic, it's very, very adaptable. If the, the child is young, is under, say, 18 months of age, uh, whereas if you don't implant till they're five years old, then it's, it's very not plastic. It's still plastic a little bit, but uh, much, much less able to adapt to the input as it can when the child's young. So the, no doubt today you know, the best age is in many clinics um, choose to implant under the age of 12 months. When you spoke earlier, you were looking at some of the numbers. There's still a lot more people out there who would benefit from an implant. They're not actually receiving Absolutely. an implant. What would you like to happen in the future, both in terms of access to the device but also the device itself, the technology that goes into it? Well, the technology keeps on changing and improving, as I said. Yes. You can get more complicated electronics every year, so you can do more things with the signal processing. Wireless um, too? And the wireless as well. You can uh, have wireless connections to your television to pick up the shows without having to make uh, you know, loud acoustic noises in the room. You can hear it quite, quite silently. Eventually we'll have totally implanted cochlear implant systems where the whole device and the microphones inside are all implanted uh, without the need for a, an external processor the way we have it today. The technology is going to do amazing things, but <laughs> there's a way to go really before we get there. And that was Jim Patrick, Chief Scientist at Cochlear. You also heard from Facilities Manager Rodney Miles, Belinda and her son Charles, and Customer Advocate Kate Obermeyer. If you're struggling with hearing loss and are interested in finding out about cochlear implants in New Zealand, have a look at our webpage for more information and help. rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.